Welcome to Lift and Love Conversations, where we are building a supportive culture around LGBTQ families in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Allison Dayton from Lift and Love, and I will show you how to lean into your spiritual discomfort to deepen and grow your testimony of Jesus Christ. And I am Jenny Hunter of Jenny Hunter Coaching. I will help you identify obstacles that could get in the way of sustaining healthy relationships and realizing the blessings of being an LGBTQ family. Each week, we will bring you lessons we've learned through our own lives, the experiences of families we've worked with, and conversations with amazing experts. Hello. Hello, ladies. <laughs> we are here with Lisa Tensmeyer Hansen from Flourish Therapy. And we are super excited to have her on today. We are you talking about her treat. I know. And we talk about her a lot in our posts, but we are we are here to talk about what we can do to support our children and, and ourselves as families. And Lisa, will you kind of start by telling us a little bit about you, how you got into therapy? Because I think that's an interesting story. And then what how you got into how you started focusing on our LGBTQ community. Hmm. Sure. Well, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I um, raised seven children with my husband, a little Utah town, Payson, Utah. And then after my youngest was in high school, I decided it was time to go back to school and try to make a difference in mental health in our community. My youngest children were involved in drama and music and uh, with some friends here in Payson uh, we ran a little youth theater did about I don't know 13 productions just had a lot of fun and in the course of that uh, we got um, to know really well and really uh, highly value our um, queer brothers and sisters in the and non-binaries in the the theater business. Mm -hmm. What we noticed was that as they grew up uh, within that community, there was less and less a place for them. That uh, as people started focusing on what is my life going to be like, they would sort of fall out of the community equation. It uh, started to make sense to me that there was not a, a permanent first class place for queer people uh, in the world that my children inhabited, in the world that I inhabited. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to school, I wanted to make a difference in that way. I went to BYU for that degree because I I wanted wanted to get everything from, uh, I, I knew I would be doing a lot of research and work. And I also wanted to see what would happen there with that kind of a focus. And BYU is very open to that. Uh, some professors invited me to help teach the diversity or or provide materials for the diversity uh, section of classes. I ran groups that helped therapists listen to LGBTQ voices on campus. And uh, by the time I finished school, there had a number of LGBTQ uh, clients who were students or who were in the community. As um, Allison, as you pointed out uh, in our conversation before, the most recent BYU poll says that about 13% of students on campus identify as LGBTQ+. 
Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? Did that surprise you, Lisa? Because since you were in the community at BYU and the LGBTQ community, which is kind of underground, right? Like not a lot of them know, like does 13.2 sound right to you? 13.2 sounds right to me. I do think there are a lot of people who are still really afraid to come out, even at BYU. Yes. Uh, I, one of the most common things I've heard as I work with young people is I would give anything to be able to go to USJ, but I don't dare. Or I, I went and I, I didn't dare uh, go in. Of course, that's been over a year ago with COVID, but uh, the, the idea of participating and knowing and being known is, is um, pretty scary. Yeah, and USGA is the unofficial BYU um, gay club, LGBTQ club, right? Understanding sexuality and gender and allyship. Yes, and it is. so, And I like that because it allows kids to be come in under the guise of being an ally. And a lot of kids go as allies. Yeah. Which is um, but, they, but they also can come and say, oh, I'm here to support. Charlie Bird talks about that in his book, but mm-hmm. I'm here to support, but they can go and be safe until they feel safe. They they can come in safe until they feel safe enough to come out. Yeah. And um, so Lisa talked about the 13.2% BYU students and might think that's really high, but in um, the new Gallup poll are Gen Zers who are 18 to 23, four-ish. Uh, they identify as LGBTQ or somewhere on the gender or um, sexual sexuality spectrum at 16.84%, which might make up, you know, some of those kids that aren't ready to come out yet at BYU for safety issues. But those numbers are a lot higher than we previously had considered. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, what a perfect place for you to be, to be studying and being there for kids. So. What's interesting is that even, I mean, it's been 10 years since I, I, Uh, not since I left, but since I started doing that at BYU and professors are still inviting uh, people who have these competencies to come back and work with classes on campus and social work and in MFT, marriage and family therapy um, and in the school of family life. How have you seen it change over the last 10 years? Well, when you have 16% or, or 13%, as we might say, of uh, people on campus who identify, we have a lot of greater understanding. There's a lot more shoulders that are being rubbed with one another and a lot more awareness and a lot more compassion, mm-hmm. a lot more sense of we are all in this together rather than us and them. Uh, that's been fostered in a really warm and wonderful way. So um, now when I go to a class and I talk about LGBTQ um members of the church or the experience of being LGBTQ in a, in a conservative uh, religious setting, classes are much uh, more supportive. They raise their hand and talk about supportive things rather than raise their hands and ask timid or concerning or challenging questions. There's just a, a really, um, I'm sure it's not universal or we wouldn't have had some of the um, flyers that were put around BYU yesterday, but yeah. uh, so we should speak to that today. Yesterday, um, today was Rainbow Day at BYU, and I think it was the third possible Rainbow Day, or maybe maybe the third uh, that has uh, that Color the Campus has put together to kind of support our LGBTQ members at BYU. 
And it's a BYU supportive day. Like they are full support of this day. Yeah. And, and he's been very careful approved. about permission yeah, you approved, yeah. to, to have, he couldn't have a rally because of COVID, but he did have, um, just wear your rainbow clothing. So yesterday, um, we started to see these pamphlets that were an, kind of anti color, the rainbow, uh, color, the campus with rainbows. And they were really kind of hurtful to people, like very hurtful to people. And, um, it was interesting, Lisa and I were talking about this and Jenny and I have talked about it, how I feel like it, it kind of mobilized the, the crew against this kind of, you know, our, our divisiveness. Yeah. yeah. It was there. It was the opposition that created the divisiveness. Absolutely. It's it's always the opposition that's creating this, right? It's always, you know, these are not like godly patterns of taking care of one another. No. But, so I said to my son today, who's who's openly gay at BYU, I said, how does it feel down there? And he said, I've seen, a, you know, there's a couple of, uh, of um, not protesting, but kind of, you know, I can't remember the word he used, but there's a couple of those people around. But he said, I have never seen so many rainbows in my life. Mm, I love it's hearing that. Such a good feeling for a kid who's been trying to be open, but relatively nervous about it for mm-hmm. a couple of years. So, mm. so, uh, you know, direction we need to go, keep going in. Yeah. And talk mm-hmm. about like the, the rainbow, you know, the, the silver lining around the clouds and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I mean, like a really great day for BYU. So, Good. okay. So how did you get from BYU to flourish a full, mm-hmm. uh, um, and let's explain what flourish is. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you, Lisa, okay. why don't you do that? Flourish Therapy is a 501c3 nonprofit mental health behavioral health clinic that offers uh, subsidized therapy to LGBTQ individuals, couples, and families. We don't turn anyone away. We do take insurance. We uh, love donations because 75% of our sessions are offered at less than $50. Wow. And the, what a great service. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, 50% are offered at $25 or less. Wow. Uh, so uh, we we endeavor to expand access. We have 20 therapists. I'm in the process of hiring two more. Um, I was telling Allison, we um, sent out 100. We had 100, over 100 requests for our application this month. And uh, we just want to keep meeting the need as it comes. We like to get people assigned to a therapist within 10 days. We don't like to have a waiting list. Individual individual therapists may have a longer waiting list, but to get in to see someone, uh, we'd like to be able to respond to crises. um, And um, we have good relationships with hospitals uh, that uh, have inpatient work so that we can see clients and support them in outpatient work once they're finished. So that's what Flourish Therapy is. We, uh, during COVID, we've all moved to teletherapy and we can see clients all over Utah. And uh, there are also many states that allow therapy across state lines. Uh, hopefully that will last beyond the intense uh, acute period of the pandemic. It may. People are like saying, this is great. Why didn't we do this before? Right. So, well, and I, I have seen uh, Lisa through the years as in, at different, you know, ally events, but um, as we have been looking to get Lift and Love Foundation going, I knew that that was going to be the, the priority, mm-hmm. is making sure that our LGBTQ individuals and families are healthy 
And mm-hmm. so this will be, that's how we really connected was I wanted to reach out and just make sure that we could partner and that we would be able to raise funds for what um, Lisa's doing because it's such mm-hmm. an amazing thing and it's so important. And yeah. and your background and the way you've gone about it, uh, it just, it really, it just really, it feels right. I mean, it feels right to what we're trying to do as moms and supporting families. And uh, so we're we're super excited about getting that going. And I, awesome. I love, you know, the more people you have to hire, awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, I should say too that we have a wide spectrum of therapists. We have therapists who uh, don't know anything about the church and uh, identify as gay or married to same sex uh, spouse and have children. We have transgender therapists. We have therapists who are active in the church. We have therapists who have been in mixed orientation marriages. Uh, Whatever, uh, since the main goal of therapy is client self-determination and doing no harm to a client's autonomy as they try to figure out their journey, uh, we just want to offer that there are a wide variety of ways to live a healthy life as an LGBTQ person. It's finding your so, own journey is what matters. It's so good. And it, it's so important. And just that someone that they, there will be someone there that they will relate to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So important. But I did say to Lisa one day in a, te- in an email, like my goal is to put her out of business. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I don't mind. Let's, let's I mean, not need it. Um, we don't want you. We might have to wait till Christ comes. I'm just saying. <laughs> we, we are going to do it before. We are going to have such supportive families that therapy will be, um, be able to be done more broadly. And Lisa will be able to go out and garden all day long. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, <laughs> it's Play with all the future grandkids, I'm sure. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, so let's get into this. Let I, My first question would be, what have you learned? Um, what have you learned from taking care of these LGBTQ kids and their families? Like what? what oh, they are some of the best human beings on the planet. Isn't it true? Amen. And that this um, this is an opportunity to learn um, love different from whatever love meant before. That um, young people who uh, that this is the phenomenon that uh, pe- young people who identify um, as LGBTQ as they are growing up as they start to recognize, okay, I'm not straight or I'm not cisgender, uh, they are usually in a family that has straight and cisgender people in it. So they they first have to get a sense of I'm different from my family. Oh, now what am I going to do? I'm different from what they're anticipating or assuming my future um, is going to be. And, and so they have to come to terms with how do I value others outside of myself who are not valuing me? Mm-hmm. And that creates within them such a deep level of empathy um, and compassion. And uh, so many young people are like, I got to be patient with my parents, uh, even though that I, I don't act patient. They get it. They understand. They, they usually are more tolerant of other people. Uh, I, I just find when I am with them, I feel lifted to a higher spiritual level, just because of the kinds of thinking they have to do about how to get along with other people. It's a greater uh, investment in love. Well, like a higher love. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we talk about. I mean, it's, 
loving is is not easy and here these kids are learning to love on such a deeper level like spiritually i would say they're learning the godly love yeah christ like love in spite of the fact that that person might be hurting them or oh, yeah they the experience trauma at yeah. a greater level too yeah, yeah but no they, doubt about that this is not oh, any- for sure and they are they're you know they are trying to love and, and learning this deeper love and are more compassionate of others, which is usually more compassionate on others than they are of themselves. Not yeah, a big surprise. Which is, yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is usually, yeah, human nature too, right? <laughs> like, uh, for sure. ourselves. And parents who embark on this journey will report that they uh, also learn a greater measure of love, uh, that the kind of love that they end up experiencing is different from anything they knew existed. I, Allison and I completely, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that having an LGBTQ child is the greatest blessing that's ever happened to me. And I've I've had a great life full of wonderful blessings Yep, and some hard stuff, but some wonderful blessings. But I mean, I, I've never been so close. I I would have never been as close, feel as close to the savior as I do like right. studying yeah like it and trying to figure things out trying to love you know people that are maybe against what i'm trying to do or whatever it is right a different parent. it is the uh-huh. yeah it is the greatest lesson of unconditional love that i would have ever experienced so yes i agree with you it if you um have the gift of having a lgbtq family member it will change you for the better that's just well, the bottom line and if you look at these rising numbers now i'm not at all saying that the numbers of LGBTQ people are rising, but certainly them self-reporting as LGBTQ or queer, those numbers are definitely rising. Like we are being given more and more opportunities to love, to just really love and learn from people. So we're lucky. <laughs> we are, we're really lucky. Um, okay, let's talk about the, so we were talking about numbers of adults. Let's talk about the high school stats that just came out. And this is kind of a Utah specific thing, but I think we can kind of lay this over most states. Do you want to talk about that, Lisa? Sure. I think you're talking about the SHARP survey, the student health survey, and it actually includes uh, students in sixth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade and 12th grade. And for the first time in the last uh, survey, it's only done every other year. So we're talking about the 2019 survey. Uh, for the first time, there was a question about how, uh, what, which of these terms, following terms best describe you. And the terms that were offered were heterosexual, straight, gay or lesbian, bisexual, or not sure or other, which would include non-binary or transgender identities. and What we found out was that uh, 5.4% identify as bisexual, 1.5% identify as gay or lesbian. So together, that's just about 7%. And then not sure was almost 5%. So we have just about 12% of our young people identifying as, as something other than straight and cisgender. And that's, uh, in sixth, eighth, 10, and 12th grade. So likely the ones until, it doesn't break them down by grade, but likely the ones that are in high school are perhaps a little bit more diverse than those in sixth and eighth grade. So that's also, that needs to be factored in. So let me ask you this, 
and while everybody marvels at those numbers, um, what, why did we not, why did they not ask about the gender spectrums? Why was it just sexuality spectrum? Do you know anything about that? Why are there no specific questions about uh, gender spectrum? Mm -hmm. I don't have any particular knowledge, but this is something that might be worth speculating on. Yeah. <laughs> and that is that it's been very, very hard to get even the question about identity, sexual identity uh, in, in this survey. Okay. Uh, that asking the question has been assumed to encourage people to identify in something other than vanilla. And so um, there's been a great reluctance to give kids ideas that they might not be vanilla. Interesting. Yes. Well, and I think we've been kind of fighting that forever, right? That idea. Well, I, I mean, I'd love to see what the numbers, but I think we see in, I don't know. And those, those the not sure. And the other, yeah. 5%. Percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there was some really, really uh, scary suicide out. So it excuse me, suicidality numbers or um, for the different ages. And I was mostly shocked that it was so high in junior high still. Yeah, this these numbers rocked me. They, yeah, they're hard to hear. You want to hear them? Yes, yes. let's we hear it. To share them. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking eighth grade here. The question was: During the past twelve months, did you ever seriously consider attempting suicide? Uh, heterosexual young people reported fourteen percent had seriously considered attempting suicide in the past twelve months. For gay or lesbian. Young people, 59%. For bisexual, 52%. For the not sure or other, 20%. And this was what grade? Eighth grade. So it's an interesting thing because I talked to bishops or young women's presidents and they're like, well, it's we're worried about, you know, we don't want to talk to the kids too young. But in eighth grade, we're 13. Yeah. And 14% even of the straight kids. Yeah. Um, and if you have 14% of your kids involved in anything, it needs to be talked about to everyone. The right. interesting thing is when you create safety for the marginalized young people in your group, whatever group it is, you create safety for everyone in the group. If you talk about problems um, in, in a warm and welcoming and this problem is not too big for us way, whatever the problem is, you make safety for everyone in the group. I love that. So true. So when I was put in as a Relief Society president, I, the very first, um, I can't remember the order now, but um, a nine-year-old girl attempted uh, to harm herself and uh, a 14-year-old girl attempted to harm herself in the first like two months I was really society president. So um, it wasn't the, it wasn't the high schoolers. Um, yeah. the, I think the 14 year old may have been just coming out of junior high into high school or just barely into high school. So we have a problem that needs to be addressed coming out of elementary school. It looks like. That's Even when I, kids actually start thinking about their future and how will I fit in uh, society. Yeah. Where will I be? Um, it, junior high kids, uh, one of my first uh, 
clients who came to me after a suicide attempt, mom said on the way to the hospital after ingesting pills that this young man said, I'm still alive. Well, I have to get married in the temple. That's that was the fear. This is what my future holds. Um, They're not just like, okay, you know, I have to think about this for a while. This is intense business. Who will I be in the future? Intense pain. So yes, intense pain and anticipation of not belonging. Well, and if we aren't, if we're not even paying attention, and and many of us aren't, we're trying. We you know we how would we know that our kids are feeling like this? Um, we want them to not have to worry about this. Yeah. But yeah, when we tell them, don't worry about it, they hear, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And we, if these feelings are there for these kids, straight and queer, yeah. there are feelings that we need to start talking about. We need to feel more comfortable talking about them. It's not going to put ideas in their heads. Oh, goodness. No, they're so relieved when they find out that we're okay holding that, that it doesn't create anxiety in us to talk about that. We can just say, tell me about that. I'm so glad you're talking to me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Learning to hold space for your children. Yes. That's beautifully space. Well, yeah. And all of us, I don't know. I was maybe a little bit more dramatic than most girls, but I remember having kind of like fleeting feelings of kind of desperate feelings. And I don't know where I would qualify my feelings of, um, just that despondency, but I remember having feelings like that and being able to say to a child, like, gosh, I remember junior high was so hard. I remember just thinking, can I make it through this life? And, you know, just opening up to your kids and being vulnerable to them in a way that's just relatable is a start. It's a foot in the door. Like, look, I had a friend who, I had actually had a friend who took his life between junior high and high school. And um, it was one of, in fact, it was this I said to my mom, because I'd heard these horrible things like, oh, then he'll go to hell. And, you know, that idea that we used to have. And I said that to my mom and I said, is that true? And she said to me, Allison, who do you think would be there first for him? But the savior putting his arms around him because he's, you know, this Mm -hmm. sad little boy. And it was just, it was, it changed the way I understood suicide in a time that we talked about it in negative ways. And she, she was like that, that child's going to get the biggest hug. He's going to have the most love. Yeah. You have a great mom. Yes. She did. Well, and you know, we experienced the suicide of my brother, even in his sixties, which is, which is terribly common for older men. It is indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's no age that it looks like that we're safe from, or that we can stop talking talking to people about this. I, I was going to say, we said the eighth grade numbers, but do they go up on the ninth, 10th? And as the kids get older, let me give you the next chapter. Okay. Yeah. The next chapter is still eighth grade. And that is attempted suicide at least once in the past year for heterosexual kids, 6% in the past year, attempted suicide, gay and lesbian kids, 30.6%. Wow. Bisexual 30.7. Not sure. Other 9.7%. So that gives us well over a third of our kids. Mm-hmm. Attempt it. Our LGBTQ kids. 500% over the straight kids. Oh. And this is eighth grade. This is 12 and 13 year old kids. These are the ones who are just going into young men and women. Right. Just going in. And again, eighth grade made a suicide plan in the past year. Straight kids, 10%. 
gay or lesbian, bisexual, 41% had made a plan. And when you make a plan, you're halfway there. Making a plan is a a serious step. That's correct. Now, can we just stop really quickly here? Um, So I'm a mom and a child has told me they've made a plan. I know there's a certain threshold for getting a child quick help. Like it's not called uni anymore, but like in a quick um, him uh, high Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that they call it him high, but I know. Yes, that's even harder than you to, to get to uni. But what is the threshold? I um, I've made a plan. I'm talking about it, or I'm worried about my child because I know to get a child kind of admitted mm-hmm. under those circumstances, mm-hmm. like what. Uh, if a, if a parent has a sense that a, a child is not able to keep themselves safe, and that may be a different sort of threshold for each child, I don't know that there's like a hard, fast rule, but the, the idea is, are you able to be safe until we can get to a therapist or get some help? And the question that I generally ask is, are you afraid that you might do something impulsive to kill yourself before I see you again? Mm-hmm. Which is a very straightforward question. Yeah, right? direct question. Yeah. Oh. And if it, if a, a child or an adult says, I don't know, and generally they will say, I don't know if they're afraid or they will say, I don't think I am. I get the sense that people in this uh, depth of despair are excruciatingly open about what they know, and what they don't know. I mean, there are some people who are so tired of help that they will try to hide it. But generally, they don't talk about it either. <clears throat> but if they if they give a sign that they're talking about it, or if you ask directly and they respond, you're likely to get a fairly honest answer. Are you afraid that you might do something impulsive to kill yourself before tomorrow morning, a parent might ask? And if a child says, I don't know, then it's probably a good idea to take them to the emergency room Mm-hmm. At University of Utah, which or is outside of with Utah. the Huntsman, <laughs> or outside of Utah, yeah, um, any emergency. But I would, right? I would check. Yes, any emergency room is helpful, but I would check and make sure that they have someone on staff who is LGBTQ competent. Um, <clears throat> any emergency room you go to may send them to a place that could be helpful to them, uh, but sometimes they just send them to a place that's not very helpful to them. Many LGBTQ clients do not have a good experience at the place that the emergency room sends them to. And how do you find that out? Do you just call the hospital and ask, or how do you find that out? Talk to therapists, (laughs) find find a therapist and say, where, where should I send my, um, where should I send them? But generally um, the Huntsman Institute in, um, in Salt Lake is good. um, And it's worth driving up there, perhaps. Uh, I, I have had clients who have reported a really good experience <clears throat> with um, Mountain View Hospital in Payson and um, some some with Utah Valley Regional Medical Center. But sometimes it just depends on who's on call. So if I'm national, like Jenny, who's in Florida, can I, um, is the Trevor hotline or the... Um, are those hotlines good for some sort of help like that? Like absolutely. Okay. So Trevor, and then the other one is, um, there's a transgender hotline that most of our non-binary and transgender clients prefer because they do not call the police. 
Okay. Um, and uh, that seems to be what most people are afraid of when they call a hotline. Okay. Uh, we'll put those numbers in, in the show notes for people. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Okay. Let's see, where were we? I mean, I just, I think it's so important because um, parents, we don't want our parents paralyzed. We want them thinking and asking and talking and you can't, I, I mean, one thing I learned in my brother's death was that it's okay to talk about it. And even to me, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, is it okay if I ask you a question? And to some people, they might still be processing, but I'm to the place where I'm like, yes, let me, you know, mm-hmm. let's not ever have this happen again. Yeah. And especially, you know, it's a 60 year old, but especially an eighth grader, like let's talk. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's better that we talk and say maybe something kind of clumsy than we don't. <laughs> and here's some, here's some advice to make it less clumsy. <laughs> Often when we hear a young person start talking about feeling like, you know, like I'm tired of life or I'm, I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm thinking of, of doing something, um, what, whatever it is that makes parents say, Oh, I got to pay attention. Often what happens next is, uh, trying to convince the young person that they have something to live for or that they shouldn't do this or that this is wrong this the anxiety of the parent gets communicated and then the child shuts down or they argue back (laughs) we don't want a child arguing for suicide it just is not something we want ironically what often happens is to actually deeply hear what the child's saying in almost a repeat it back to them way like ah you're feeling like there's no hope what happened in the last week was like devastating. Just like, get it. Like I'm hearing it. What we what we find is that when kids actually have somebody hearing them, they may still talk a big talk about I'm done, but there's something about having somebody hear them that they no longer feel it's done. It's wow. really ironic. Oh, so, so good. A parent or a listener has a really powerful chance to just say, no kidding. That's how bad it is. It feels like there's no hope. Like so really just no friends that. at all. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's exactly what therapists call it, <laughs> but, but yeah. it, it can just take the form of listening and absorbing because when people feel like what they're having to say gets them a connection or a belonging, it's gold. Now, some people say, yeah, they're just trying to get attention. And I say, okay, if they're trying to get attention, they need attention. <laughs> and, and it's okay. What's wrong with that? Get, yeah, give them that. <laughs> I would rather they got attention than yeah. they felt like there was nobody there. We can, we can adjust the kinds of attention, teach them some skills to get more healthy attention. But if they're really needing attention, remember, a baby who doesn't scream and get your attention will not survive. Mm, good analogy. So good. Mm. And we, um, gay, straight, or otherwise, we've got kids who are, who are desperate for help. Yep. In, Everybody in- is desperate to connect and belong. And our LGBTQ young people have fewer places to belong than anyone else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I love that, that, um, what you just kind of hitting that one straightforward because I do think we've got to take we've got to take the um, the fear off of speaking about suicides, um, talking about like 
worries. We've got to take the fear off that. And and it needs to become a com- more comfortable conversation. It's never going to be comfortable, but a more regular and open conversation. A normal one. Mm-hmm. A normalized. Yeah. Something so, we, we talk about. What can, so we, we talked about parents. What can allies do? What can they do to be effective friends? And um, what can they do to be there for people? Not allies can explain. Yeah. Allies can explain stuff because people in the community, they get tired of explaining why. Um, I talked with a, a, a young man last night who was trying to let his dad know why the Equality Act was meaningful. Just the exhaustion of having to like defend your identity as being worthy of not discriminating against it, that uh, it's, it's just so exhausting. So when allies will speak out and say, hey, this is why uh, discrimination hurts. This is why uh, protecting certain religious liberties is actually just discrimination uh, with a mask on it. Allies can talk about this kind of thing. Allies can talk about um, politics. Allies can explain about politics um, and and also work with other parents, which is what you guys do, which I love because parents do better when they talk to other parents rather than making their kids explain themselves. Mm-hmm. Which is which is really important. And I think allies can, like I, I can speak mom to another mom. Yes. That's so hard for a child to speak mom, right? How do they know how to do that? And um, we can we can speak to each other in in ways that we understand. We can Absolutely. less defensive sometimes, maybe not the moms, but <laughs> other allies can be a little less defensive. And yeah, and like I said to Allison, like when you become a LGBT a mom of an LGBTQ child, you it is a different language. And to speak to another mom who has an LGBTQ child, it's like you're speaking another language, but you get the language. So it is yeah. you it's a safe you bridge place. the gap. Mm-hmm. Yep, you yeah. bridge the gap in a safe way. Yeah. Well, and I know um allies can often come in and speak to like a young woman's president a, a bishop without the the flames behind it you know the heat that mm-hmm. we as parents are like in a more credible way yeah and they can do it in in kind of like hey this is better for all of us it's just mm-hmm. allies are a really important part mm-hmm. and uh, and the only caveat is when an lgbtq person is there to speak an ally should sit down yes until or unless we yeah. should also always be lifting voices that are there rather than, um, I don't know, yeah. usurping. Walking over them, right? Well, how awesome to put the allies out of work too. I mean, we can get a lot of people <laughs> unemployed here. <laughs> and when the community is listening to the LGBTQ people, then we're, then we're smooth sailing, right? Then we're really listening. Mm-hmm. We're really listening. So our job okay. is to lift and create paths. Yes. And exactly. to speak to people who will listen. It's so good. Okay. I, I, Jenny, do you have any other questions before we wrap up? I know you. Yeah. I mean, since you deal with so many clients, like what would you give the best advice to parents who their children just come out or what would you say, what is the best thing they could do to support their child? Uh just be really gentle with themselves and with their child. Just let gentleness move over all. There is, this is not a crisis. 
It is not an emergency. This is not a judgment on themselves or their child. This is just a time to cocoon and take care of one another. Uh, if you've said things that you regret, go easy on yourself and tell your child. Find a way to nurture yourself. Allow your child to be nurtured. Uh, start reading up on it rather than asking your child to tell you too much. Uh, let your child explore their identity with friends or online. Uh, open up the boundaries a little bit as you start to get a sense of self rather than pulling in the boundaries and saying, we'll take care of this. Uh, uh, you Don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Allow your child to sort of lead out on what what is the child ready for. And then also <laughs> run interference with grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Such good I, advice. Oh, you know, all good. I, I tell moms, they'll text, they'll DM me and say, what can I do about my parents telling my parents? <laughs> and I say, you need to prepare your child for grandma not getting it. <laughs> grandma might not get it. <laughs> no, I, and we had a mom in our last support group talk about that. And then she was like, but she, you know, my mom's always been kind of crazy with me. And, and, and so I just told my daughter, she's going to be crazy about this, which I just thought that was so cute where yeah, yeah. they're going to exact same things, right? Like you just it's, expect what you're going to expect. Yeah. It's an old dog and a new trick and, yeah, and just be and, kind. <laughs> yeah. And uh, expect them not to get it. And then, and then hope that they're teachable and that they're going to get there. It's interesting though, I'm finding, and I have zero scientific anything around it, but grandparents are starting to get it. They are indeed. Absolutely. Yep. You know, it's really I, lovely to see that. I had this woman so worried and she, she uh, DM'd back and said, they were so awesome. They will surprise you. Yep. What a I lovely mean, surprise it is too. Isn't yeah. it such a lovely surprise? And grand, you know, I think our grandmother, grandfather network, they're on the phone talking to each other about each other's uh, LGBTQ grandchildren and they're <laughs> teaching each other, which will be so great that our kids don't have to do it for them. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, And along that line, I would say that parents should read and censor letters and emails from grandparents to young people. I have seen more devastation come from a well-meaning letter from grandma or grandpa about, have you considered, do you recognize that? That can be almost more devastating than anyone else in the family being mm -hmm. ignorant. Oh, such an important part. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, I think you're right. I think um, we talk about leading out, like my husband wrote a letter to his grandparents. He's got a huge family. So calling individually wasn't going to work. And uh, we sent a, le a letter. He wrote a letter about how we're handling it. This is what we're doing. This is how we're supporting. And I that's think, ideal. Yeah, it, it really does. It says, this is, it kind of says, this is what we're doing. And it a little bit says, and this is what you're doing as well. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll be coming along with this or, you know, or this not. will enable us to have open relationships with you. Yes. Yeah. It, and it worked really well for, for at least one set of very conservative grandparents. So, mm -hmm. so if you can lead out sometimes as a parent with that strength. Grandparents yeah. generally do want to have relationships with their grandchildren and can have a little bit more room if they're prepared in just that perfect way, Allison. Yeah. Yeah. I just think if we lead out, okay. The very last question, and we know you have lots to do still tonight, but, um, 
how has your calling to lift and love? And we believe that this is your calling, Lisa, what you're doing, what you, it's remarkable. I mean, I've been in awe of you since I met you right after my brother's death. And I'm just met you for one second, but just watching you um, fulfill this calling. But how has it changed you? What you do? Oh, gosh. That's such a huge question, Allison. Is that on my list? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it certainly has made me busier. Um, it has given me energy that I didn't know I would have at this stage of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, at an age where I think most people start to retire, I am, I have a more expansive view of who God must be and what God has in mind for all of us on earth than I could have imagined 10 or 15 years ago. Getting to know people, spending hours and hours and hours of my life listening to individual stories day after day after day, coming to know people's hearts, helping people learn to trust themselves more than what anyone tells them about themselves has helped me understand, I think, the purpose of our lives. That's kind of what I'm hearing from the two of you too, is that this journey has helped you trust what you understand mm-hmm. about your own life and love and your children more than what anyone might tell you about them. Yep. Absolutely. Perfectly put. Stated. it. Yep. And what a gift it is. Yeah. What, what a real gift. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you guys are awesome. Well, thank you for being there. Thank you for being there to teach us as we're all trying to figure this out and, and if somebody wants to donate or get in contact with you, how do they do that? Hmm. Well, you can donate right at the website, uh, flourishtherapy.org. There is a button there that you can donate. You can certainly get in touch with me at lisa at flourishtherapy.org. Happy to talk with anyone. This is I, I spend my weeks doing therapy and training therapists and then my weekends talking to parents. Hmm. So good. I have a good husband who yes, <laughs> supports say. all of this. Oh, I love He's that. never complained. Oh. Really? What a man. Well, it's a mission for both what of you guy. then. Yeah. What a guy. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, give him a big squeeze then <laughs> from us because it's getting late. And thank you. Thank you so much. This was really helpful. Jenny, awesome. Yes. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, love it. Thanks. Thank you for joining our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lift and Love podcast. And if you like what we share, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating. For more tips and resources, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Lift and Love Org and Jenny Hunter Coaching. You can also go to liftandlove.org for loads of information and entry into our free support groups. If you're interested in personal coaching, sign up at jennyhuntercoaching.com. The first appointment is free. But most importantly, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are building a community of thriving and faithful LGBTQ families who are here to lift and love you.